Please to Acts chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 8 through 20. We've been in this passage looking at baptism, the Holy Spirit, and the Word. This morning we're looking at the Word in warfare. We hope to make this clear as we get into the text. Paul is in in the city of excuse me. Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is well known for broad term idolatry. As the scholars have taught us, reading in the text and the commentaries, that Ephesus was a very superstitious, very idolatrous, very mystical kind of a city. They loved trusting in incantations and spells and uh, talisman. It was just not a spiritually good place. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons had touched, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took to, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognized. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What we've just read is an episode of a battle, an episode of spiritual warfare, and we want to learn something from this. as we work together through this passage. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of this word and help us to see clearly what is here before us. 
Help us also to apply it to our lives that we may live faithfully for you. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. His name was Thomas Jackson. We in the South know him more appropriately or more famously as Stonewall Jackson. Before his military prowess was demonstrated during the War of Northern Aggression, the Civil War, he was an artillery tactics professor of artillery tactics at Virginia Military Institute. He also taught the physics of, of elevation, aiming the guns, setting the sights properly in order to hit the target at a distance. And once he got done with the classroom time, he took them out to the field for some practical application of what they had been learning, and he was given the use of four cannons. And the story is told that he named those cannons as he introduced them to his men. Then this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you ever heard those names before? Nearly all of them is, yeah, those are the four Gospels. They would get those cannons loaded, prepared. He said, ready, aim, spread the gospel. That was before his war years. But he understood clearly that using the word of God is spiritual warfare. The word of God in warfare is spiritual warfare. I don't mean something that is violent. I don't think, mean something that is destructive unless you want to talk about destroying the gates of hell because that's what we are called to do. What I want to see from our lesson this morning is some principles of warfare that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. I want to kind of sum up this morning First thing, know your commander. Second, know your weapon. Third, don't go without authority. And fourth, know your enemy. Know your commander, know your weapon, don't go without authority, and know your enemy. As we look at our text, we see in Acts 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, the Word of God, when it talks about the gospel, is a very clear plan. And we can see as we read it, even if we don't believe. I've known some people who do not believe. They've not received Christ as their Savior. But when they read the Bible, they confess that it does make sense to them. They understand it. The Word of God, the wisdom of God, is reasonable. It is logical. The gospel message is simple to understand that even a child can grasp it. For three months, Paul spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. How could he do this? How could Paul do this? Because he knew his commander. You remember the road to Damascus where Paul was 
confronted by the Lord Jesus. Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul was converted that day. And over the next few years before he began his formal ministry, he really came. He was raised a Pharisee. He was taught the scriptures of the Old Testament. He knew of a coming Messiah, but he didn't know the Messiah. That time after his conversion, he came to know Jesus Christ, his commander. For the grace of God, he knew his weapon. Paul knew his commander. For the grace of God, he knew his weapon. He didn't go without authority, and he knew who his enemy was. Verse 9, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This was a strategic move. Paul was not being cowardice. He was not being afraid. He withdrew from the synagogue and went and hired. Most people don't know who Tyrannus was. They believe, the commentaries tell us, that these, this place was probably a school of philosophy where they allowed him to use their auditorium. There are a lot of churches in America who use schoolhouses and public auditoriums on Sundays and other times of the week. This is that kind of an event, that kind of a thing. Paul just changed his strategy. He pulled away from one, uh, one battle line and moved to another. And for two years, everyone in Ephesus, everyone in the region heard the gospel. It doesn't say that they accepted the gospel, but they heard. Even our Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Our Lord said it's, it's perfectly fine to avoid persecution. We're in a battle. We need to move our battle lines. We need to be mobile. We need to be strategic in everything we do. We're not running away from the fight. We're keeping the fight going. We need to know our commander. In past weeks, we saw how baptism was identifying with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our commander. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Galatians 3.26, the Apostle Paul wrote, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We looked at the life of Apollos in chapter 18. He knew the word, but not enough. We looked at the disciples that Paul had found in Ephesus. They knew the word, but not enough. Both Apollos and those disciples said, 
we've been baptized according to John's baptism, and the Ephesian disciples said, we, don't, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So in those lessons, we wanted to learn that our identity is with the Lord Jesus, our commander, our Lord. Know the Lord as your Savior. Know that the Lord is your Lord and King. Over the past 30 years, that's been coming up on 40 years now. That's been quite a controversial thing. There have been too many people who have said, Jesus is my Savior, I've not yet made him my Lord. That's not an option. Know that he is your sovereign. I think is a better word. If we understand what sovereign means, he has full authority over everything in you, of you, and for you. Know your commander. I know a lot of Christians want to know their Lord, but just a little bit, just enough to make them happy, just enough to make them comfortable, just enough to make them feel safe. But I like the words of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia when they're asking about the Christ figure, the great lion Aslan. Is he safe? No, he is not safe, but he is good. That is a good description of your sovereign Lord. We, he may not be safe according to how you might think safety is defined. Comfortable, at peace, at ease, no trouble. He's not that kind of safe. When we're talking about warfare, we can talk about things that are threatening, exciting, stressful, glorious, productive, effective, victorious, but very often comes with a great price. Know your commander. Prophet Jeremiah told Old Testament Israel, as he tells us, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. In these things I delight declares the Lord. A commander in warfare will ask those in his command to do things they are not comfortable doing. Our commander in spiritual warfare will ask us who are in his command to do things that we are not comfortable doing. Things like Repentance. That's not easy. We aren't always comfortable doing that. Sinful habits become very comfortable in our lives. 
We're used to them. It's almost part, of, indeed, it was part of our nature when we were lost, but we have a new nature. And even some habits are very shameful. We are called to repent of those things if we are to truly know our commander. I don't want to. I could spend all day right here. The modern woke church is doing all it can to avoid the subject of shame. They don't think it's important to know or any, know anything about it anymore. Don't preach about sin. Don't preach about shame. It's gotten so bad that I cannot even talk about it in mixed audiences anymore. There are children here. But one blatant example. The great Southern Baptist Convention. Those staunch evangelicals just recently concluded their annual meeting. Some of you may have seen it. One of the hymns they sang, we're very familiar with it, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. The words originally written and properly written, and the burden of my sin rolled away. They changed those words. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of mistakes rolled away. These were the Southern Baptists going woke. Let's not offend anyone. We don't want to talk about sin. The commander calls us to repentance. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. These are the gracious, compassionate words of the Lord calling us to repent. To turn from the sin that keeps us away from him in order that we might be drawn nearer to him. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Brothers and sisters, we need to be diligent in repentance. We need to repent daily. Sometimes we need to repent Minute by minute, hourly, daily. And we also need to be a little bit vulnerable in order to share the gospel. Sometimes the sin that we are aware of makes us, robs us of confidence. We know that we are sinful. We know that we had been once lost. We know that we are no better than anyone else. But we need to love those who do not know the Lord Jesus to be vulnerable. Be willing to get their rejection just so that we might 
plant a seed in their heart and their mind that might be nourished by the Holy Spirit, that they might come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Know your commander, know your weapon. The weapon I'm speaking of is the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, once said, Ignorance is the enemy of faith, but knowledge of God greatly strengthens and increases our confidence in Him. We who profess faith in Christ need to know His Word. We need to be skilled in using it. We need to be knowledgeable of its wisdom and its truth in order that we might share it. When the Apostle Paul, writing later on to the church at Ephesus, talked about the armor of God, we don't have time today to go through it point by point, he was talking about the knowledge of God and he was using metaphors. He's using figures of speech. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the personal darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. There's your weapon. Praying all times in the Spirit with all power and supplication. The Word of God in this spiritual warfare is our weapon. Some people in recent years have called it the gospel gun. Almost trying to make fun of Christians who want to faithfully preach about salvation and repentance and finding Jesus. There's another denomination that recently closed their annual meeting. The Orthodox Presbyterian Church finished their General Assembly about 10 days ago. It was held at Eastern University in Pennsylvania. Ben Castle responded, I'm not going to go into the details, it's not pertinent to what we're talking about, but I like what he said about something and I'm going to borrow it and then nuance it a little bit. There was some misunderstanding on the campus. Some of the students, some of the people who were helping set up chairs and tables and things heard someone make a comment and misunderstood it. And there was a bit of a kerfuffle. It was posted to Facebook, and I think Christianity Today has weighed in on it. And Ben Castle said, writing, said it was not necessary. But here's his words in response to it. If words are bullets in this negative world, social media is the gunpowder in the casing. Made a lot of sense. Words do have power. And sometimes people like to hide behind Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and say anything they want to say, whether it's right or wrong. 
But allow me to take his words and just nuance them just a little bit for what we're talking about today. If the words of God are the bullets for the gospel message, then the Holy Spirit is the gunpowder in the casing. And I think we can get very close to understanding what's going on there. If the words of God are the bullets for the gospel message, then the Holy Spirit is the gunpowder in the casing. Do you know what you do, what you are doing when you resist the word of God? You're resisting your commander and you're resisting the Holy Spirit. Because both of them come together in the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Scripture clearly equivocates Christ, our commander, as living Word. And it also equivocates the power of the Holy Spirit carrying that word into a dark heart and soul and bringing new life and light. The word is our weapon. The Holy Spirit is the power behind it. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. Do you know what you are doing when you resist the word of God? Do you know what you are doing when you neglect or ignore the word of God? You resist him. You live as though you do not believe him. He is often very patient with us. But if we wonder where the Holy Spirit is, it's because we haven't been willing to submit to him. We haven't been willing to obey his word. You can read the book of Revelation here John's description of the glorious Lord and the sword of his mouth. I don't think John literally saw Christ glorified. I'm, I know he saw Christ glorified, but I don't think that there was a literal sword coming out of his mouth. His words cut John to the core. And that's why he talked about his word being a sword, a weapon. And even as he finishes up Revelation in chapter 19, he said, For from his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. If we are to know our commander, 
if we are to be familiar with our weapon, his word, if we are to be well acquainted with the commands that are within, what should your response be? What should your response be? To love him and to love his word. With my whole heart, Psalm 119, verse 10 and 11. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't know how often you've read 119th Psalm, but all of those words, all of those verses in that Psalm, they're almost written like a passionate love letter. The author of the Psalm loves his Lord. He longs to be with him. He longs to know him. With my whole heart I have sought you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might be faithful to you and to no one else. And again, verse 165 of that same psalm, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So you need to know your commander. You need to know your weapon, his word. You need to love it. You need to be acquainted with it. You need to be equipped by it that you may share it. Don't go without authority. When you share the word, don't go without authority. Remembering the text is quite evident that Apollos had the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. Once he understood the full gospel. In verse 28 of chapter 18, they said that after he, he was discipled, by Aquila and Priscilla. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. He finally had he had knowledge of the word. He finally had the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit with him. He became effective for the gospel. Anytime you share the gospel that you faithfully believe and trust, you are using the power of God. You don't just share a Bible verse and think that maybe this will convince them. Maybe the sound of my voice saying these words, even from memory, might convince them. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with those words. And it may not happen all right away. It may not happen quickly. But something will happen eventually. In verse 19.8, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Believer, you must understand the Bible. You must remember its truths. You must apply them to your own life. And then you must share what you know. If the Word of God has not or does not pierce your heart, 
then it will have little effect on those around you. Did you ever in your imagination, while you were in prayer, wonder what it was like for John to be before the Lord in a vision as he wrote Revelation? And his heart to be pierced by the pure words of his Savior. Do you have a desire? Anything near that where, Lord, convince me, change me. Let your word cut my heart that I might be totally, completely yours. If the word of God has not or does not pierce your heart, then it will have little effect on those around you. He is your power. The Holy Spirit is your power. Not your own reasoning, not your own logic. God's word with the power of the Holy Spirit. According to our text, God was doing some wonderful things. And as we talked last week, it was a very unique time. Some of these things were ordained to come to an end. The miraculous things or miraculous healings. They were, God was trying to very gracious, be very gracious to a city that was full of incantations, full of witchcraft, full of sorcery. Here's something more powerful. Handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, Paul's skin, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Very miraculous and wonderful things because God was being gracious. I will show you that my authority has more power than anything on this earth. He would not have been, Paul would not have been able to convince anyone without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Powerful preaching of the Word of God resurrects the dead soul to new life in Christ. We look for earthly kind of kinds of miracles. We look for healings. We look for restorations. And we rejoice when, when God answers our prayer for people, sick people, ill people, wounded people, hurt people, when God answers those prayers. But please do not discount the fact and the truth that powerful preaching, powerful sharing of the word of God, powerful sharing of the gospel resurrects the dead soul to new life in Christ Jesus. When you share the gospel and someone comes to faith in Christ, putting in a more common understanding, when you lead someone to convert to Jesus, their soul was once dead in sin, lost and in darkness. They have been resurrected and never again will die. That is a miracle. We see two examples where that has happened in our texts. Very early in the chapter, some outright refused the truth of God. This is just a testimony. It doesn't mean that man's sin is any more powerful than God. This is just a test. First, it's a testimony of how cold and hard and dark the heart of man truly is. 
when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, they started, they started to lie about Paul's message. That's when Paul withdrew. Some outright refuse the truth of God, and Christ himself defines this as the unpardonable sin. Do not believe the gospel, start attributing the works that I bring to you to the works of Satan. They started to lie about what Paul was doing, committing the unpardonable sin. And the second example we see in our text in verse 13, we see where some are jealous of its power and seek to defraud people for personal gain. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists overtook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? This is almost a comical kind of, a, kind of an episode. The Bible says these were itinerant. It means that they travel around. Another translation calls them vagabonds, kind of like gypsies. One of them called himself a high priest. There is no record anywhere of Sceva, anyone named Sceva being a high priest in and around or anywhere in Israel or Jerusalem. And we know this was in Ephesus, but this guy was probably self-appointed. Oh, I'm Jewish, I'm high priest, I can... I can heal all your diseases. He was a fraud. They had no authority. The Holy Spirit was not with them. They may have been proclaiming the name of Jesus whom Paul preached, but they had no power, had no authority to do so. They were lost. Our Lord himself reminded his disciples, his own disciples, Many of you will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? You're very familiar with the next words. I will declare unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is spiritual warfare. Never doubt it. Never doubt it. This demon-possessed man, these sons of Sceva started throwing their incantations around trying to get this man delivered of a demon. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, who are you? Do not doubt that spiritual warfare exists. God sent that demon-possessed man to give these frauds a whooping. 
And Luke gives us the account of what happened. By the power of God and for his glory, this happened. The Lord wanted to reveal to the superstitious Ephesians that his power was greater than their incantations. Never doubt the spiritual warfare. Some people refuse to believe. Some will deceive and defraud. Counterfeit Christianity. We see it today. We still see it today. They want personal gain. They want personal glory. You know of whom I am talking. To the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. The Apostle Paul was rebuking the church because they accept anything anybody says about whether it's true or not. You put up with it readily enough. And we should be discerning. We should be faithful to our commander. We should be faithful to his word. We should be avoiding the frauds. This is spiritual warfare. Further on in that chapter in 2 Corinthians 11, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as angels of light. saying these false Christians are as deceitful as Satan himself. So we need to be very careful. Know your commander. Know your weapon. Know the word. Don't go without the authority of the Holy Spirit. And know your enemy. The enemy is anyone who will refuse or lie or deceive about the truth of God's word. Shall we pray? We ask, Lord, that you would be with us this day as we continue to worship you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Convict us of the sins we cling to and help us to leave those aside. Help us to embrace your word and each day grow more bold and fearless as we share the gospel. It's for the glory of the Lord we love. We pray this. Amen.